Hello, Crossroads friends. It's been some time since I've been with you all. Um, we're going to go ahead and get started into Genesis 3, uh, verses 4 through 8. This will be, I always kind of put different, like part one or part two, um, because I always want to make sure that we have covered everything as adequately as we possibly can uh, as we go through scripture. Um, uh, one of my former mentors, Pastor he had said that life is not a sprint, it is a marathon. So we should continue to look over this and look over this and look over this. It's not about the quantity, but it is about the quality and how much we can uh, search out from scripture. And even in as I have studied and, and taught on Genesis 1 through 11, the more I study it, uh, the more that I glean more things from it that has everything to do with everyday life, everything that I go through, everything that I deal with. So again, uh, and that's just 11 chapters of, of the first book of scripture. So I just want us to keep studying this and going through this because there's going to be some things here that hopefully you're going to think, wow, I didn't see that before. And it's not that I pulled it out, but it's there that God has shown it to us that the Lord has continued to show these things relevant uh, to us. So before I begin, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. As we continue to search and look through Genesis, may we see things that uh, you have revealed and shown to us, not that we discovered, but you showed these things to us from your word as we continue to search and look for these things that you would have for us and how they play out in our lives and how everything that is in your word, it is relevant. It is relevant for today and what we go through. God, thank you for Christ, whose death on the cross gives us the life beyond the grave. And thank you that we have the promise that one day we are going to see him and be with him forever and ever and ever. God, thank you for this time. Uh, I pray that as I teach, that I am being taught, and I pray that I am transparent and clear in what I say. And as we look at these passages here, I pray that I'm clear in my as I as, I'm, as I speak in what I say. God, thank you for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at Genesis chapter three, verses four through eight. Now, if you'll notice, the serpent he is speaking to Eve. This conversation that they are having, it's the serpent and Eve. Has anything crossed your mind thinking, where is Adam? Remember, who is in charge? Who is the steward over the garden? This huge place where there's this one river and four rivers break off of it. It's a big area. You may be thinking, well, maybe Adam is out working and maintaining and, and managing the garden as he's supposed to be doing. Maybe, but let's read a little bit here. Let's, let's see what's being said. Remember that Adam and Eve can eat anything that they want in the garden. There's just one restriction. The day that you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. It is a promise. It's a guarantee. It will happen. God has said that. I want you to think about something. God did not put that there to be a temptation. He didn't put that there to be a stumbling block at all. God put it there as a test. Remember, Adam and Eve have been created perfect. 
They are free, moral, spiritual agents. They, God has created them in such a way that they have, they have a not just a physical body, but God breathed life into them and they became living, they became living beings. Uh, they have a soul, they have a spirit. Remember, your soul is your is where your seat of emotions, your personality, everything about you is there. We see that it's your will to live, your desire to to be motivated and to reach a goal. Uh, the purpose you have for your life, that is what your soul is. Your spirit is how God is, is he communicates to you and you communicate to him. Uh, we pray, we pray in the spirit. Uh, maybe we've heard that a lot as if you've grown up in church, you hear that about how we, we pray and we pray in the spirit and, and God has given us a spirit to know those things. And to, he's given us this conscience to know what is good and what's evil. Not just right and wrong, but what is good and what is evil. So God has put that in them. And and when the serpent is asking questions, he asks the woman, hey, did God say you couldn't eat from any tree of the garden? God did not say that. Lie number one. The woman said we could eat from any any of the fruit of the trees of the garden. It's just the one in the middle that we can't eat from it or touch it. She has added to that phrase, or we will die. Okay, she did get it a little right, but... He says, then he, then the serpent in verse four, let's pick it up here. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. What did the Lord God say? The creator, what did he say? He said, you may eat freely from any tree of the garden, any plant that is good for food, any, any seed that comes from that plant, any fruit, anything. You may eat, but there's one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You may not eat from, for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. What do we see here? We see an attack on God's authority. We see an attack on his character. We see an attack on his integrity. The serpent has said that you surely will not die, for God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, now here's the test. Here's the test is, am I going to trust what God says? Am I going to trust him and take him at his word? It's not just about, it's not about the food because they could freely eat from the tree of life, which kept them from bodily decay. And, and it kept them, it kept them, their bodies in this perpetual state of eternal living in which they could live perfectly and everything. They could eat from that freely from the tree of life. But look what happens. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. That reminds me of a passage in 1 John. Just to show you how the Bible translates itself and is a great reference to itself, 1 John and please, as I am teaching these things, as I've said to you probably 1,000 times, please search out what I am saying. Do not take Phil Pippinger's word for it. Look at God's word to see what God's word says, That because it keeps me accountable. Iron sharpens iron. John, in his first epistle, his first letter, not the gospel, but the first letter, the first letter of John, he says this, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, 
the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Notice what happens to Eve here. She sees that this fruit from this tree, oh my goodness, it was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. It appealed to her. There was an appeal there in her eyes. Oh my goodness. There's something special about this fruit. And that it had the ability and it was desirable and the ability to make one wise. Lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. I find that very interesting. When I read what in those early days of creation, what has happened here in this garden, and then all of a sudden what we see with what John has written not to fall in love with the things around us, not to make, because what happens is we will make those things, we will just lust for those things. And that's what our focus and our gaze is going to be on, much like Eve, Eve's gaze. Oh my goodness, this huge garden and everything comes back to this small area where this one tree is. My gaze is fixed upon it. That's what's happened with Eve here. She saw it. And she took it. She took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Adam did not just show up. I've read from different scholars, and they and and they all seem to be in agreement that Adam was right there that whole time. This conversation between the serpent. And Eve was taking place. He was right there the whole time. That is what we would call a lack of leadership. A lack of leadership. Remember who is in charge of the garden? Adam is. Adam is is in charge of the garden. Eve is a helpmate. She compliments Adam in what he does in the garden. They're both in a complementary relationship with each other. But Adam is the one who's been in charge. He named all the animals. God brought all the animals to him to name, and he named them. He has all this intelligence. This guy's very bright because God created him. He's very bright. He has all this ability. What does he do? He lets this thing go on and go on instead of stepping in and saying, hey, our Lord God, our master creator said, no, we are not to eat from this tree. Because he has said, if we eat from it, we will surely die. The test. They have failed the test. God has created us not to be robotic. God has not created us just to be innocent. He has not created us to be totally innocent. He has created us to be righteous. And that means that we are to live according to his word. We are to obey him. It did, you know, it it does not matter. Everybody says this, the serpent that was speaking to Eve somehow in the, in the, in the Latin from Hebrew to Latin, somehow that got to be uh, translated to mean snake. 
Okay. Uh, I'm not going to deny that because we've all heard that, that, hey, there was, this was some type of an, uh, an animal like a snake. Well, what it, it doesn't matter who was speaking to Eve. The point is, is that are we going to obey God for nothing? Are we going to live for him for nothing? I've, I've heard a, 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 a godly man, a, a pastor, he's pa- he passed away uh, several years ago, but he spoke on Job. And Satan attacked Job for, hey, he's got all this stuff, God. If he has all this stuff, it's easy for him to praise the Lord. Take those things away from him. Will he will will Job serve God for nothing? That was something that was and I think to myself, well, I serve God for nothing, even when I don't have anything. Am I going to trust him and take him at his word? I believe I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, the uh, the last lesson that we had. I think about Christ when Christ was was he had he had um fasted for 40 days, 40 nights. He's in in his his human body. He's physically weak. And Satan tempts him and says, hey, make these stones into bread. And Jesus says, he says, hey, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's where we ought to be. That's where we ought to be. That's what this was. This was a test. Are you going to trust me? Because God told them what was going to happen. He shared with them, these are the consequences. If you don't do these, if you, if you don't do these things, if you, if you break this command, this is what will happen. There will be a separation between me and you. And I'll, that's what happens. Look at this. Then the eyes of both of them were both were opened, Adam and Eve. And they knew that they were both naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings, a cover up, trying to cover everything up. I mean, literally, that's why we wear clothes now. Think about this. This this is what's happening. And they see the guilt. They see the shame. They're embarrassed. There's an embarrassment now. Oh, my goodness. What have we just done? Because at the end of chapter 2, verse 25, Moses has, he's writing this, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and will cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, marriage. Man and woman shall become one in marriage. And the last part, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now they've eaten this fruit and now they're both naked. They recognize they're naked. They're both ashamed. They sew fig leaves together because they're in shame. They are in shame. Wow. How about that? You know, when we see this playing out, God, let me me share this. I'm going to be, I'm not going to be as lengthy today. Uh, When we look at this, God gives us warnings about our actions and our thoughts. Let me, let's turn over. God gives good things. God is good. Satan was attacking God saying that, hey, he's not out for your best interest. He is trying, he is withholding something from you. 
And you have to remember the secret things are the Lord's. God has given us enough information. He's told us enough. He's shared enough from his word that now it's time for me to trust him. He's got my best interest at heart. I think about James chapter one, and this is where James is writing about how uh, God does not tempt people. God does not tempt anyone. He is, he is the giver of good gifts. Everything that Adam and Eve could have wanted was right there for them. There was no, they were not lacking for anything at all. As we look at James chapter one, we read this. Let no one say that he is tempted when he, when he is tempted, quote, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. God brings tests. God brings tests, but he always tells us what's going to happen. For example, I think about this. If I jump ahead, think about Abraham, Abraham and his life. Abraham was 75 years old, and he was told, you will be the father of a great multitude. There's going to be a huge nation that is going to come from you, and they will be like the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. You can't count them how many there will be. It's going to be a huge multitude. He was 75 years old. His wife, Sarah, was 65 years old. They were both childless. About 10 to 12 years into this relationship and waiting and waiting and waiting, they both tried to make their own plan. I'm going to kind of speed this up just a little bit. And when they did, Abraham had a son, but it wasn't the son God had promised, the son of the covenant. And God was good to that son, Ishmael. He was. He was very good to him. But out of that relationship came Isaac. Isaac was born when Abraham was 100 years old, 25 years. And even then, it was just the one son that was the covenant that God had made from what we what we saw here, how God brought him about. And yet there's still, there's still, that's a long way to go before there's this multitude or this huge nation that would come about from that, from what God had said. But there were a lot of tests that God put before him. And then later, Abraham was about 125, 130 years old. Isaac was somewhere between 25 and 30 years old. God says, hey, take your son, your one and only son, take him to Mount Moriah, which was going to be about a three days journey. I think they said that's somewhere about around 50 to 60 miles from where they were at to go to Mount Moriah. Take your son, your one and only son, and sacrifice him to me. That was a test. How could God say, hey, this is the son of the covenant that I promised to you. Now you take him and, and, and 20, some 25, 30 years later, you take him and you sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. It was a test. Abraham set everything up. Or wait, they're on their way. Let me backpedal just to, to add. With his servants and with Isaac, they, they go on the journey. They rise up early in the morning and here they go. There's no question. Abraham doesn't even question God. He's on his way. He tells, and they're about to hike up, hike up Mount Moriah. And Abraham tells his servants, hey, you guys wait right here. Me and my son will be back in a, in a little bit. We're going to go up and worship the Lord, and we'll be back down in just a little bit. Think about that. Think about that. 
We're going to come back here in just a, just a little bit. Right now, we're, me and my son are going to go up and worship Yahweh, our covenant God. They go up there. Isaac, hey, where's the ram God? We'll provide. He bundles and prepares Isaac to be sacrificed. He draws his dagger back. The angel of the Lord, whom I've studied and read when you hear the angel of the Lord, specific name. I've heard that that's the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Stop. The Lord has noticed and seen, taken notice of you that you have with you have not withheld held your son from him. You, I mean, all of a sudden, Abraham went from this guy whose faith just grew and grew and grew and maturity, and it rose in maturity, and God raised him and just continually, he continually trusted the Lord in everything. And more as he, as he grew and matured, his faith grew with that. Even to that, that is a strong test, right? You think about it. And you know what? All of a sudden, there's a ram caught in the thicket. They sacrifice that ram. And, and then they return back down to, to the base of the mountain and go back home. Tests. God puts tests before us, but God always tells us what's going to happen. Because back, you know what? With Abraham, Abraham believed that either the Lord was going to provide, which he did through that ram, a sacrifice. Or, hey, I've waited and waited, and I've seen what Yahweh has done in my life and what all he's told me. If I do sacrifice my son, he's going to resurrect him. He's going to resurrect my son. Resurrection wasn't just something that Jesus did on that third day in that tomb. Hallelujah for that. But resurrection was right there the idea of it was right there with Abraham. My my God, my Lord, Yahweh is going to bring my son back to life. He is going to resurrect him. It was a test. What we see with Adam and Eve right there was a test. And they failed miserably. They did. They failed. That's why now that each of us, we've been born in sin. We've been brought in and born in sin. And we're going to study that a little bit more as we go through this. And we're going to talk a little bit more as we go through uh, the, the last part here of Genesis 3. We'll pick it up in the garden when, when the Lord God approaches Adam and Eve after what has just happened. And he asks several questions. He asks four big questions of Adam and Eve. He's not playing detective. And I'll talk about that the next time we get together. But. That's something to really think about. Why did he ask those questions? As a matter of fact, let me finish by talking about this just for a second here. Adam and Eve, they heard, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Why would you hide from someone who's been so good to you, who brought you into this world and gave you all the good gifts? Why would you hide? And the Lord God called to the man and he said, where are you? I'll, I'll just say what, what the Lord asked. He said, where are you? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? What is this you have done? 
God's not a, God knows all things. He knows what's happening. There's a reason why he asks this. So if God is omnipresent, if he's omnipotent, and if he's omniscient, he knows all things. He, he, uh, he's all powerful. And if he's everywhere, he knew what was taking place here, but he's still asking questions. Sometimes he wants us to respond. He wants to hear from us. We'll talk about that next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we've had together. Uh, I just I just thank you for as we get into your word, we study and see what you have for us. And God, this is relevant to all of us because I've got a really good story I'm going to tell next week about some things that that uh, that that emphasize this more about how people hide guilt and shame and embarrassment. It's in all of us. We see it today. We see it today when we know we've done something wrong. God, thank you for this time. God, thank you for this opportunity to share and get into your word. And I pray that folks will check out your word, check out what I'm saying, because your word is truth. And it keeps us in a, in a clear path walking towards you. It is. It, your word really is a light into our path and a, and a lamp into our feet. God, thank you for this time. We lift up the name of Jesus, the name above which all men must be saved. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.